Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Blog Talk Radio Show. This is Born to Talk, and I'm your host, Marsha Witeka, and I'd like to welcome you to the show today. And conversations plus connections equals community, followed by what's your Story And we've got a good one today, so without further ado, let me introduce my guest, Christine Conrad. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you, Marcia. Nice to be here. Absolutely, and there's just like a, a list of your multi-talented things behind your name, which include a screenwriter, a director, a producer, and an author, just to, just to name a few. And we're going to be talking about all of those talents with you today. But I do think that um, what's kind of fun about this, doing this show with you today, Christine, is back in the late 1990s when you and I were working together at the Westchester, in those days we called it the Westchester Family YMCA in Los Angeles. Whoever would have thought that, you know, in 2018 we'd be doing a radio show together. I know. That was, uh, that was a while back. We've known each other for a long it, time. I know it was, you know, those were some really great times for me personally. I, I was such a member advocate as the director, membership director there. And I just love the members. I love the staff. In fact, your mom, your mom even worked at the Y for a while. I was, I was her supervisor. You were my supervisor. That was pretty funny, wasn't it? That we kept it in the family. Yeah, no, she, she did work there for a little bit. Um, we've always been a super, connected YMCA family. I learned to swim at the Y and we were always mm. going and involved in the programs growing up in Nebraska. And so, um, I love the Y's mission. Obviously, you know that. And, um, yes. and I, I still miss the staff and the members there too. So, you know, I, I actually st- because of the beauty of social media, I do stay in touch with a lot of the staff that, that you and I used to work with. And there's just something about, your local YMCA in my in my situation I grew you grew up in Nebraska I grew up right here in Westchester so that YMCA has been a gem in this community for a really really long time but what we're talking about today is you and you really do have a pretty interesting background and I would just like you to share a little bit you mentioned that you grew up in in Nebraska but just tell me a little bit more about your early days and your education yeah, so, um, well, I uh, I grew up in Nebraska, and we <clears throat> lived all over, actually. My dad sold insurance, and so we moved every year until I was nine years old. Finally stopped in Lincoln, mm. so I, I kind of grew up there and um, went to high school there. And then I got accepted into uh, the University of Southern California's uh, Cinematic Arts program. At the time, in the 90s, it was um, called... Um, the cinema television program and I've changed the name of cinematic arts and I ended up getting a a, a screenwriting degree um, there and then went on and worked uh, in the film industry have been working in film industry for quite a while and then eventually went back and got a master's degree um, from Boston University in criminal justice Um, and the reason I did that was because at the time I was writing a lot of thrillers and crime dramas. And um, so it was kind of nice to have that educational background to go with what I was doing professionally. That's so, what, what was the interest about the crime side of writing? Why, why, why crime? Well, as opposed to, you know, some flowery romance. Which is more of what I'm doing right now, actually. I know. Well, you gotta you gotta stop killing people in your movies at some point, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think I was always, you know, as a child, I was always drawn to kind of the macabre. Even um, just reading crime mystery books like the um, the Alfred Hitchcock series, but there was a YA mm. series back then, and and I love that kind of stuff. I loved true crime. And um, so it kind of, I think I just kind of gravitated to that and um, spent a lot of time reading those books and watching those movies. And so, um, yeah, I think it just sort of naturally built towards that. Um, When I started doing a lot of Lifetime movies, um, those were all the thrillers. And then more recently, I kind of got into doing some Christmas movies and now I'm doing some stuff for Hallmark. And so it's a lot less um, heavy, but I still enjoy watching those, those thrillers. 
that's are you the the whodunits, right? You're yeah. trying to figure out who done it. That that's great. Um, when you talk about, you mentioned that you have a degree in screenwriting from USC, which is a very mm-hmm. prestigious school. Um, maybe we could just start off for those of us that don't know some of the glossaries of this of this world that you're in. What what does it mean when you're a screenwriter? What does screenwriting mean? So that's a, that's a good question. So basically. Um, Screenwriting is sort of a catch-all phrase for whoever writes the script, and that could be a web series, it can be um, theatrical features, it can be television, um, episodic television. In my case, um, I've done mostly TV movies and features. So I write the script, I start out, and um, a producer hires me to come up with basically it's the, the blueprint um, for the movie, and um, there's two ways to do that. You can either do it on spec, which means you know a, a writer sits down and they just come up with their own idea and they write it and then they go try to sell that script. Or um, there's work made for hire, and that's when a producer comes to a writer and says, I've got a project that I want to do for uh-huh. Lifetime, Hallmark, whatever. I'll pay you to write the concept or the story, and here's the concept, and they give it to you. So there's two ways to do that. Uh, most of my work has been work made for hire. So the producers already know they're going to make a film, and then they come to me to write it. That's that's really interesting. And, you know, you, you, you threw out something else there that I would just like to have defined a little bit better for me, too. Can you tell me um, – well, of course you can. Would you tell me what the difference is between a movie and a feature? Is it is it one and the same, or is it different? So, yeah, so a feature – when you say the word feature, it sort of describes the length – Right, so there's feature-length television movies, which are made for TV, but they fit that two-hour time slot, which actually in television usually ends up being around 83 minutes because of the commercials. Okay, Um, When you write a feature for a theatrical feature, it's the full two hours, so it's usually about 110 minutes. Um, so it's just it's describing the length of time that of that that particular film is playing. And do you have you written screenplays for both um, for both genres for movies and for features? I have, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to be talking about that too. I, I, but I guess what I'm what I'm curious to know about um, is what why did you want to become a, a, a screenwriter? What was the what was the inspiration behind that? Um, I think I always well I know I always loved writing and. Um, I won my first writing award when I was in the third grade, and uh, the young author, the young authors award, and I won at the state cool. level. Yeah, and um, and so and then you know during high school I had been published quite a bit, and I, I just really enjoyed creating stories and and telling stories, and so um, it wasn't even something I was going to be when I grew up. I I actually mm-hmm. had plans to become a lawyer. And that's what I was, I was going to go into pre-law. And then my junior year of high school, you get all the brochures from the different colleges, and, and USC sent me one, and they listed screenwriting as a major. And, and growing up in Nebraska, at least at that time, there was no film industry there at all. And so I didn't even consider that that could be an occupation until I saw that actually wow. written on that brochure. Mm-hmm. And I knew at that moment, I was like, this is what I want to do. So everything else went out the window. <laughs> and I said, I'm applying to film school. And uh, I'm sure my parents were proud that I was giving up law <laughs> to go be a struggling artist. Is that what but it they wanted? Out, so. <laughs> Did you see yourself earlier that you thought you, that 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 would might have been your your path, your your professional path, law, or did you never really think that was going to be for you? No, I, I actually really did. I I loved the idea of um, creating these arguments. Like I loved that Aristotelian structure and. And that kind of thing, and I actually wanted to be a prosecutor. Um, and part of that goes back to the whole crime, the my, you know, gravitating to like the, the criminal theories and all of that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I always found that very interesting. Well, and you know, there's there's some level of performance there. Um, you know, attorneys. I know my daughter got her degree in theater arts at UCLA, and many of her friends didn't go into that field and went into becoming attorneys. Um, another level of performance which i always they were they were they made for really good attorneys people that 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 studied that so it's just always found that very interesting so yeah i can see that at age at, 
Yeah. So in the third grade, I mean, how, what was, I can't, I'm trying to imagine what a third grader really writes about. Do you remember what you won your contest about? I mean, what was it about, lollipop? It, it, I don't know. It was about this, of course, when you're a child, you can only write about children because that's all you know. So it was well, a story about a girl. Um, I think she was mm-hmm. also a third grader who, and, and I was on swim team at that time. So oh, you were already swimming, was, okay. Yeah, so she was, mm-hmm. she was um, trying to win um, some sort of a swim event, I think, because her sister needed an operation and this was going to give her the money to do that. And, of course, she wins. And, of course, the sister has the operation, which is successful, so there's a happy, happy ending to that story. <laughs> but at least it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, it presented a pro- – like most stories have, you know, even though it wasn't very sophisticated at the time, it had that, that basic structure that all stories have to have. So that's probably why I won. But, you know – what was the last time you told somebody that that's what you wrote about as a third grader? I'm just curious. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's just so that, – but, you know, think about it. As I hear you saying that, I mean, you were already a compassionate person at, at that age. I mean, I, I, think we, I think I know as a parent, you know, they're, they're my, I think my children at, at very young ages were – who they are even today they just are an older version of themselves so mm-hmm. you would you had that compassion at a very young age and that really says a lot about you I'm just, I think that's just totally cool um but moving forward so you have more than 65 screenwriting credits over the next over the over 20 years I think that all started after you left the Y is that right yeah, I think I might have had one or two um, prior to, okay. well, at least during the time I was working that. When I started the Y, I was still in college, and I was working as a lifeguard and a swim instructor, and then kind of just moved my way up over the, mm-hmm. the years until I was a senior program director. And so I think maybe I had done one or two. At the very beginning, I thought that the first screenplay that I did was going to be the start of my career, and it wasn't really how it happened. I think I went probably five years before I I got another writing, paid writing job. So um, so that's sort of what I was doing. I was working at the Y in between. Hmm. And were these, were these 65 credits that we're talking about, were they adapted for TV? Or some were, some weren't? Or how did that so, work? Yeah, so most of those were made for television. When you, when you actually adapt it as a word in the, in the industry, that has a totally different meaning than I think how you just meant it. Um, oh, okay. Adapting, adapting means you're adapting actually from a book, right? So you're turning, you're creating oh. a movie from a book that's an, that's adapting, and then when you go the opposite way, which I will talk about in just a little bit because that's what my book series is. They're novelizations of movies. So when you start with a movie and it becomes a book, then it's called a novelization. Um, but yeah, these were all. Most of them were made specifically for TV. Um, Mm-hmm. which makes it a little bit easier because you actually plan for the commercial breaks and all of that. And then there were a couple of them that were actually features. One of them went to Showtime. Um, mm. that, yeah, that, that were actually made as as theatrical features. And that one, the particular one I'm talking about called Hotel California actually did the festival circuit for a little bit, and then it sold to Showtime. So it was it aired on television technically, but Showtime doesn't have any commercial breaks, so it's not structured like a TV movie. It's structured like a theatrical feature. What, what what did that feel like to write something that went to that level of pub, of distribution to go to Showtime? What what was that like for you? You know, it's um, it's it's always a thrill to see the words that you wrote on television and see actors bringing those characters to life. So, you know, whether it's Lifetime or Up or whatever network it is um, or Showtime, um, I think it's sort of just the same thing. You, you sit back and you, you think, <laughs> I, I, I created this whole <laughs> thing. Like every scenario, every piece of dialogue, everything is, came from my brain. And, um, and it's just fun to see other people in the audience react to it. So for that one, when you do the festivals, it's a lot of fun because you literally can sit in the back of a theater and watch hundreds of people reacting versus, you know, sitting at home watching a TV movie and you're just watching, you know, I'm watching my fiancé laugh at the jokes or, you know, it's just exactly. him and I. Yes. That's, oh, I, I, just, I just think it's, it's just fabulous. What, what is it um, about screenwriting that, that you find so appealing? Do, do you have 
a vision? Do you uh, take me kind of through the process? Do you outline? Do you have characters in your head? Do you have topics, or how do you go about um, doing that? Well, I think for me, the draw to to writing in general is creating stories to help people people relate to things they don't necessarily understand or could otherwise relate to. So I love the idea of just giving people something to think about. Um, you know, most mm-hmm. of us get in situations where we kind of have our own worldview and, and we surround ourselves with like-minded people because it supports that worldview. And, and so it really challenges us to try to understand um, why someone would make different decisions than we do or how someone could get caught up in, in being a victim or being a criminal. Or, and, and it happens all around us all the time, but we tend to be very judgmental. So when you present some Mm -hmm. of those things as stories where people can actually relate to the characters, I think it gives people an insight they can't otherwise get. Um, And and books do the same thing. So that, to me, is the draw um, in doing it. The process of doing it, um, you know, varies. Uh, Some producers Mm -hmm. that I work for want outlines, you know, or the networks want outlines. Um, some don't, some just, you know, they give you the concept and they go go to script and, you know, show me your first draft. So sometimes they give me the concept and the characters. Um, Sometimes it's just a title and they say, here's going to be our next title. Come up with a story that fits that. So it's different. Each project is different. Do you, when you're writing and, and let's say they've given you the concept and they're giving you free reign to write, Mm-hmm. And you're, so you're writing dialogue, correct? Are you writing um, things other than dialogue? Like are you describing the color of the sky or are you just writing dialogue? You're, it's, it's sort of a combination of both. Um, you know, mm-hmm. unlike a book, a book is about creating a visual image, right? So it's describing mm-hmm. everything when you read a book. In a screenplay, you don't do that. You don't have the, the space to do that. Um, so, you know, you only describe the important things and you're very succinct and efficient in how you write in, in setting more, more or less, instead of explaining the visuals, you're setting the tone, right? So, so you might say something like, um, a catamaran bobs on the cerulean blue waters of the Caribbean, period. That creates a visual image for you, which I could explain in a book, you know, it could take me three or four paragraphs to explain that. But sure. in a script, yeah. it's, it's very short. So that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then you're getting into the characters and the dialogue. And the dialogue needs to be able to kind of convey the subtext and information about the, the characters. Because remember, you're only writing what people are going to see on the screen. Got it. Do you, do you when you're writing, do you ever um, see the, the possible actor or actress playing that particular role in your mind? Like, um, I no, could see I Sandra actually, Bullock doing this or, you know. You know. I don't. I, I think that's limiting, actually. Sometimes I'll know who the actor, if it's, if it's a work-for-hire situation and a producer's coming to me and they know who their actor's already going to be and they tell me, mm-hmm. um, then I'll use that and I'll envision that actor. Um, but most of the time I try not to do that because I'd rather envision a character. And when you envision an actor – you tend to remember how they say things, and, and that's actually limiting uh, for that actor, too. You want to give them the ability to become a new person, right, sure. a new character. So I try not You're to You're almost like editing before you even write. Exactly. I get that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I see that. That makes sense to me. Well, all right, so you're, you're doing the screenwriting. I'm just curious, when you write a screenplay, how long, how long does it take to write a, a screenplay? I mean, what, what, is, what are we talking about in an investment of time? It's, well, so contractually, that's usually contractually, they give you a certain amount of time to write what's called a, oh. a first draft and then a rewrite and a polish. So there's three different things. Um, usually I get four to five weeks for the first draft and then two weeks for a mm-hmm. rewrite and one week for a polish. And it can go through multiple, multiple um, stages where, you know, sometimes you're working with the producer and they like it and then it goes to the network and then they didn't like something. So you start kind of start over or you keep half of it and, you know, you rebuild half mm-hmm. of it. So um, overall, the process probably takes from the time I start to the time we shoot, probably around eight months um, to get to the Whoa. part where they to get to the point where it can actually go to what they call a, a casting draft, which is the one that goes mm-hmm. out to the actors, and that's the one they start doing pre-production with. 
Is that one that now people are auditioning? Is that what that means? Yeah, yeah. I I see. All right. Wow. It that that's a. I I I had no idea. I I, I that that's really interesting. Do you teach this? Do you te- you personally? Do you teach uh, screen screenwriting or how to write a screenplay? I do actually. I um. I have several. Well, I have three um, webinars available through the writer's store. Oh. Um, and about different aspects of screenwriting. I think it, one of them is called creating um, strong female characters. Another one's about writing the thriller. And then I don't. I don't remember what my third one. My third webinar is because they all kind of align with different classes and workshops that I teach. So I do. Um, I have taught in the U.S. and Canada quite a bit. Uh, different screenwriting workshops and master's classes hmm. through different, yeah, through different writing conferences. How would some, so if somebody was listening right now and said, this is exactly the information that I need, how would they find you? How would they get in, how would they be able to take your webinar? Um, well, the webinars are available through the writer's store. So you just go to the writerstore.com and Google Christine Conrad and mine will come up. And there's plenty on there from other terrific screenwriting instructors as well. Um, so anything that you want to learn how to write, you can basically learn how to write in a two-hour webinar. Um, and then on my website and on my Facebook, my professional Facebook page, I always um, I always promote when I'm going to be at a writer's conference so that if people want to sign sure. up or you know, they want to take the class, they can. I'm going to spell your name for those people that are listening. So Christine is just as you would think, you would think C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. But here's your last name. It's C O N R A D T. So that yeah. way they can they can find you um, on the social media platforms because you know maybe you're an aspiring writer and you just don't know what maybe you don't know maybe you have taken some classes or not. But if you're you're already skilled at this um, and experienced for quite some time, I would think this would be a wonderful opportunity for those that are listening that would like you know, to, to go down that path. When it comes to directing, I mean, I mean, really, I, I mean, I always knew you were very focused as my supervisor and, and you were very accomplished and you, you had expectations. I mean, make no mistake about it. I knew that if you had an expectation of me, um, I was to deliver it. And I actually liked that kind of supervision because I didn't have to wonder what you were thinking. When, when you're a director, um, and you've you've directed is it is it three feature length films for television? Yeah, so far I've done three. Wow, just I'd love to hear about that. Well, um, so two of the films that I did I wrote myself, which was a very different experience than directing a film that I didn't a screenplay that I didn't write. Um, mm-hmm. But they, I mean they all they're all, they're all sort of the same. The nice thing about you know directing something that you also wrote is that you've been with the project for so long that you basically mm-hmm. have created everything in your head already, the visuals. And so it's just kind of figuring out how to line up and match the actual visuals with what has been in your head. When you're directing someone else's screenplay, um, you're trying to see the big picture and the vision that the writer had and trying to create something brand new. And you may or may not be aligning with what the writer was thinking. So, on that one, you know, I mean, I was actually very lucky because I got to be a part of the development process with the writer. So at each draft, I was giving notes on the script to him um, and discussing with him what my vision was so that what he was writing sort of to my vision as well. And so it, it lined up and, it, and that actually worked out too, but it was a very different process than when you're doing it yourself. That's, that's really interesting. Um, I know that you're also a producer and I guess i here we're going to go back to glossary terms again um, because I don't know the answer. So what what's the difference between somebody that's directing a film or television show and somebody that's producing um, a film for television? What What is the difference? So the director sort of has the vision for the film and what it's going to look like, and they're the ones that are spearheading um, – sort of that, that creative process, right? So they're deciding the shots, they're deciding sort of the colors, they're, they're communicating with the keys, saying, okay, you know, for this character, you know, she's fiery, this is who she is, I want her in red. When she's not wearing red, I want her in red lipstick. I, you know, so they're coming up with this, these 
ideas. And then, you know, so then they, mm-hmm. they explain that to the costumer and to the art department. And the producer hmm. is sort of the person who, I call them the creative problem solvers. There are literally probably 10 problems that come up every single day on set. And they have to come <laughs> up with the way to best address those problems um, and make sure that the whole process beyond the creative process runs smoothly, um, that they mm-hmm. stay in you know, on, on track in terms of scheduling and your budget and everyone's happy and the performances are good and the dailies are coming out good. And if there's something that has to be addressed, they address it. And so, um, so they're two completely different things. I, on my Christmas movie that I did, which aired last December on up called 12 days of giving, um, I was the writer, director, and producer on that, which was great because I had so much creative control. Um, but to be mm. honest, while I was on set directing, I really had to focus on directing. And I had two other uh, creative producers who were there with me, and they were really handling the producing during that time. I was helping to produce in, in post and in prep, but while we were shooting, you know, they were the ones handling problems while I was focused on, you know, seeing what was going to be on camera. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between a creative producer and just a producer-producer? So there's it, lots, of, lots, the lots, lots, lots of producers. <laughs> um, it's one of those okay. titles that, like, a lot of people have. Um, so, you know, you have a creative producer who is typically on set dealing with the creative stuff. You know, a lot of times I'll have them stand next to me and watch the monitor. And um, if I have questions or whatever, then they're right there kind of to address things. Um, you have an executive mm-hmm. producer who typically is the money person who brings financing um, or bring some element, financial element, like the sale or whatever. Um, you have associate mm-hmm. producers, which is sort of a, it's sort of a catch-all title. Like, like for example, if I read a script from a friend um, and I thought it was really good and I took it to a producer that I knew and said, hey, you need to read this, and they ended up doing the film, they would probably give me an associate producer credit because I was instrumental in helping to get it made. Um, oh, I so see. There's different, Interesting. There's different levels of producing mm-hmm. and different levels of involvement. That's, that's in, so tell me, I think something something happened when you were doing your twelve days of giving. Um, you, where, where did you where did you film that? I uh, we shot that actually in Nebraska. Okay, that's why why Nebraska? Um, I had wanted to do a film for quite a while. Go back to Nebraska and do a film there. I loved the look, and um, mm-hmm. especially at Christmas time, it was just very the the town that we shot in. It was like a small town. They hadn't changed any of the facades of their buildings since, like, the, the 1800s and, well, oh, late yeah. 1800s, early 1920s. And so, um, I mean, just had this beautiful look. And so uh, that was my primary reason. When I pitched the idea of going back to Nebraska to the production company that was doing the film, um, they checked into it and found out that they actually – there were financial incentives to shoot there. And so that was sort of what sealed the deal for them to go back there and shoot. Hmm. And were you at a Y? Did you do it at a YMCA? We did. We we shot at well, we shot in Fremont, Nebraska, and so um, they have like the fourth largest Y in the country there. It's crazy, and so uh, it's this incredible, beautiful building. It has a an ice rink in it, and then they have all these little satellite properties. And one of them was this log cabin, which is a venue you can rent for graduations and weddings and stuff. And so we shot there. We shot at the hockey rink. We shot inside the the YMCA. Um, it was awesome. And that was great, too, because it was just so cool to to kind of go back to my roots in that way, too. I hadn't expected that. Going back to Nebraska is one thing, but then being back in the YMCA and, and seeing all the kids come in and, you know, they're all watching as we're shooting. Yeah. It, was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I bet. I mean, you could sort of see it from all angles, couldn't you? Because um, th- there was that root thing involved with there, along with the actual story. What, what was the story about, just briefly, uh, the 12 Days of Giving? Is it like the, 12, like the song 12 Days of Christmas? No, not really. It's, um, it was about a guy who is sort of down on his luck. He's a photographer. He wanted to be a photographer. He ends up being a school photographer. And uh, he ends up winning $50,000 in this sweepstakes and hmm. becomes um, sort of this town's secret Santa and starts buying things for the people who need it anonymously and it inspires this town to sort of everyone to start doing the same thing and suddenly the christmas spirit has arrived and in doing these good deeds for people and seeing how it's affecting this town he ends up helping this little boy 
um, who lost his father and falls in love with the little boy's single mom, played by um, Oh. Oh. See, so there's your romance, right? There was no <laughs> exactly. uh, criminal in no criminal no. intent here. <laughs> oh, that's that's very sweet. And uh, so it's up TV because I, honestly, I'm not familiar with that. Is some is that uh, something that people could see nationwide? Yeah. So um, I think there. I don't know how many homes they're in exactly. Not everyone has up TV, and sometimes it's part of like an upper tier cable package. I think almost anyone can uh-huh. get it if they want it. But mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but they. Uh, up TV basically does sort of uplifting stories, sort of hallmark types of movies, mm-hmm. um, but not um, not quite as branded, I guess I would say, as Hallmarks are. Uh-huh. Hallmark has a very succinct brand to their movies. Obviously, if you've ever right. seen two, you, you get it. Um, so they're right. a little <laughs> bit more indie feel, but it's the same type of film. Hmm, that's fair. So when you... When you look at, we, we've talked about what it means to be a director. We've talked about what it means to be a producer. We've talked about what it means to be a writer and all of these uh, genres in the entertainment world. Do you have a preference? Oh, my goodness. It, it depends on the day, really. I mean, I think my first love oh. is writing. And um, and just mm-hmm. like with the books, um, you know, it's it's been really fun to go back and, and do prose again because I hadn't done that in so long. Mm-hmm. But I love being on mm-hmm. set, and I, you know, I love the long hours and the crazy, the you know, the crazy amount of time you spend working before you get a break is, I, to me, is really energizing, and I enjoy it. So I actually really love doing, I love doing the directing and the writing. That's that is that is that's really interesting to me that you that you enjoy all aspects of this of this um, medium. So then, so that's not enough for you though, because why, why not add (laughs) one more element to your life? Why not um, start writing books? And so how did you go from being a screenwriter to a published author? Well, so we had done um, a production company that I work with often, and I had done a series for Lifetime called the At 17 series. And it's there's a bunch of different movies called different, like missing at 17, portrayed at 17, dead at 17, things that happen to people at 17 years old. And it's all different characters. But the thing that kind of unifies it is that it all has a 17 year old character and the, they get involved in something bad and the parent has to team up with them to kind of help them get out of it. So that's the, that's the thing that unifies all these. Um, They skewed relatively. Let me interrupt real quick. Oh yeah, of course. So are the uh, so I mean pregnant at seventeen obviously is a female, but um, are your your at seventeen um, productions are they are the leads always females or, or are they ever males? Um, there was our very first one, which was dead at seventeen, was actually a boy, a seventeen year old boy, and after that they were all girls. Interesting. That's yeah. that's, that's and but not the, but not a reoccurring um, character. So, no, no. Um, so, so these are like all high school age children. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. I and see. 17 is one of those, 17 is sort of the time where you feel like you're an adult, you think you're an adult, you want to be an adult, and you want your independence, but legally you're not, and right. emotionally you're not. Um, and so, you know, a lot of 17-year-olds are still quite impulsive, but they're very smart. And so they, you know, it's a, it's a strange time, I think, in your life mm-hmm. as you're growing up. And, um, and so that's sort of why we picked that. And so, yeah, it's not a series where you follow a character that has different adventures. It's a franchise. So it just has sort of a theme that unifies it, and then there's different characters. So I came up with the idea, since we were skewing sort of younger, as um, the audience was skewing younger for a lifetime on those, um, I said, you know, maybe we should turn this into a book series. And so mm. um, the producers were supportive of it. Um, they had never done anything in the book industry before, and they said, well, why don't you sort of spearhead that? And, you know, if you end up just self-publishing, we'll put a little money toward it. Um, but, you know, do it the way you think you should do it. So I started researching how to do it and ended up writing a manuscript based on one of our scripts and took it to an agent who took it to an agent in New York, and then we ended up getting a deal with HarperCollins. Um, and it was a three-book deal cool. based on the movies. All right. I'm, gonna, I'm throwing another glass, glossary term out to you. What's the definition of a manuscript? 
So a manuscript is, is basically that... it's the it's the the version that you submit that will become a book. So it's the prose version I of your see. story that you know usually like ours were three. I think our books. Mine are 350 pages, around that, like 320 to 350. Um, wow. So, yeah, so that's what you're creating is the manuscript. Wow. Yeah. Uh, how long does it take to write a 350-page manuscript? Well, it's interesting. So Do you my write every day? Two, yes, <laughs> for about 10 uh-huh. hours. I usually work about 10 hours a day. Um, oh, man. But, but – um, for my first two, they the movies had already been done, right? So I was literally taking a script and turning that into like a more expanded prose version. With the third book, what they decided to do is they wanted to line up the release of the book with the release of the movie. So I was writing literally both at the same time. Um, oh one my goodness. being the script, yeah, and the other version being a book version. Um, so the, and actually that comes out in July. That one is called Murdered at 17, and the book will come out one week before the movie does. That's that's fascinating. Is it difficult to transition between the two? Yeah, it kind of is. Um, yeah. For me, for me, because I've written screenplays for so long and I write super efficiently and I don't describe spend a lot of time describing things those were the notes mm-hmm. I was getting back on the first two manuscripts from my agent and then again from the editor like you have to describe stuff more you you know the pacing is good but like you go way too fast so I have to sort of like how I talk <laughs> I talk really fast mm-hmm. um, I had to slow <laughs> down and that's what I hear <laughs> I, just, um, I had to slow down and spend more time describing and and letting people paint that picture because there's nothing for them to see on the screen right so it was it's a different process and so it's much easier and more natural for me to write the screenplays than it is the books but I think by the third one I was I feel like I was getting better at it so how many total books have you written now just the three right now and and we're pitching just the three yeah and then we're pitching another series now um which I'm going to write the first one in the process of writing the first five chapters. So they'll go with a synopsis and then just those five chapters to try to sell it. And if we get a publisher interested, then I'll, then I'll finish the manuscript. Sure. Do you, do you have a particular audience that you're writing your books for? Um, so those, uh, the first three are for the YA audience, which I actually really enjoy mm-hmm. writing for. Um, and then what, the series what, that I'm, what, I'm sorry. Let's yeah, see how I just keep interrupting you. I apologize. Okay. When you talk young adults, which is the YA, what 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 age range is the young adult typically? It, it depends. For my books, um, they say it's for fourteen-year-olds. So typically, when you're writing about a seventeen-year-old character, the people reading it are mm-hmm. going to be like twelve to fourteen. And when you're writing oh, okay. about you know a college-age character, it's people in high school. So everyone's always reading. You know, it, you're always reading the the, the character where you're going, right? Not where you are mm-hmm, or where you've right. been. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so ours are sort of for that age group, around 14 years old. What's interesting is um, there was a time before I got so actively involved in my radio show that uh, I was in a book club. And really, there were some books, what, The Fault in Our Skies, was that the name mm-hmm. of it? I think. Yep. Um, that was a, our start. That was a YA book, and we, you know, we could have been the grandmothers of of this off, of the <laughs> of the students, and I think they even made that into a movie too, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I the Fault in Our Stars. Sure. That was an amazing movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, and it did have it did have younger younger characters, but it was very much an adult book. Yes, it, the 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 theme was very adult like. Um, so okay, so you you you've got you've got movies, you've got books, um, and you you've written about thrillers. Is there a particular genre that just sort of, you know, just sort of works best for you? That, that at least for today, that might change at five years from now or two years from now. But what what would you say would be that genre that you just really love? Well, I, I guess I've always loved the thrillers, and I always will. Um, but I think, I mean, I'm reading a, I'm reading a book right now that's an amazing thriller. Um, but, um, like, right now I love writing these rom-coms that I'm doing for Hallmark. 
Um, they're just a lot of fun and, you know, very structured. It's very cute. You know, it's, it's like the kind of romance that doesn't really happen in real life. We all wish it could. Mm-hmm. So feel, um, feel good. I'm having fun with those. Makes you feel good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Is it, which is more difficult since you've done all of this, adapting a book into a screenplay or novelizing a screenplay into a book? Is, is, a, is one easier than the other? Yeah, I would say adapting is easier. It's easier to take a mm-hmm. book and figure out what the core is of that story and, and kind of cut away all the fat and turn that into a screenplay than to take a screenplay and flesh it out into a book, I think. I see. All right. Um, you mentioned before that you, um, you, you studied criminal justice. You had some pretty interesting experiences along the way. Did you do some drive with, I mean, not what, they, they don't call it, what do they call that, where you sit in the car with the officers? Drive, drive alongs. Drive along. Drive along. Right, ride along. Basically, ride along is what they're called. Yeah, uh, oh, I thought you were going to say drive by, and I was like, no, it's definitely oh, not yeah. called a drive by. That's something. Different. Yeah, no, ride along. <laughs> no, no. So yeah. So while I was um, what's that? Yeah. So you had some experiences like that. I'd like to hear about that. Yeah. So basically, when I was doing, when I was getting my master's degree, um, I was doing the whole thing online, and so I was still here in hmm. LA, and um, so I wanted to basically learn as much as I could about that field. And um, obviously I was the only writer in my master's program. Everybody else was in law enforcement trying to get their degree so they could, you know, get promoted and stuff. And so um, I took one of the citizens' academies. And if you're not familiar with those are different – yeah, so the different police departments, not all of them in L.A., but different ones in different cities um, offer citizens' academies. And so the one that I did, it was – I think it was 13 weeks. It was three hours per night – uh, one night a week, and you got to go on a ride-along. I went on a couple. You got to, we got to go out with Harbor Patrol. Uh, we got to do a DUI shift. We got to, um, we got to work with the dogs, which was a lot of fun. Everyone hmm. loves the dogs. Um, so you get to see mm-hmm. all that. Um, so that was a lot of fun. So they come and they talk, the different officers come and talk to you, and then you get to actually practice and, and kind of do some of the stuff with them and learn about it. And, um, and then at the end of it, you get sort of a little certificate. And after that, um, I ended up being the first civilian to work with the Redondo Beach cold case unit. Um, and the Ooh. only reason I ended up doing that, and that was a lot of, that was real, I, I don't want to say fun, because that wasn't fun. That was, it was very interesting. No. Fascinating. Um, it, exactly. It was very fascinating, but those were all, I mean, they were all murders and, or sexual mm-hmm. assaults. So, um, mm. you know, they're, they're very intense crimes that haven't been solved. And so there's, you know, obviously, um, so that particular cold case unit, um, it was led by two senior officers who were older gentlemen, and they weren't real um, good with, like, the social media and computers and stuff like that. And so... I offered, I said, do you want me to come in, you know, a couple days a week and help you put together your presentations and organize all your material on the computer? Oh, man. And so oh, they, they must said, have loved you. They, they did, and I had already done the back, like I had already gone through the background checks and everything so that I could be in the class. And so mm-hmm. they said yes. And it was very interesting to see them present to the DA um, because at the end of these, before they can make an, a, an arrest on a cold case, they have to present to the DA, and the DA has to agree that there's enough evidence to actually go arrest that person and convict them. And if there's not enough, they won't, even if they know that this person has done it. So it was very wow. interesting to see them argue and put together their presentations um, for the DA. Hmm. Did you carry a weapon when you were doing no. this? No. Okay. So did the did the officers that you were doing ride along with did they carry a weapon? Oh yeah. Okay. So did were you ever fearful of any of the things that you did while you were part of that academy? No, they were very careful about not <laughs> not letting me get too involved. Even though I, I trust me, I tried to talk them into letting <laughs> me get closer on a few things, and they wouldn't actually let me do. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had some crazy experiences though. I remember we pulled a car over. And uh, I'm sitting in the car, the officer gets out, and he goes up to the window like you would on any traffic stop, and all of a sudden I see him grab his gun. 
And I'm like, oh. what is going on? Like, I, I can't see what's going on in that car. And so it turns out um, as he approached the car, there were bullet holes in the top of the car. And so he assumed that there was probably a weapon in the car. And when he ran the, ran the driver's information, there was a warrant out for him. Um, so we ended up making wow. an arrest. Yeah. While he's but doing crazy stuff. His, his field, while he's doing his field work, are you just remaining in the vehicle, in the, in the police car? Yeah. When, when he's approaching... Okay. Um, uh, during a traffic stop or approaching a suspect or anything like that, I was in the car. We did. Uh, we responded to a domestic um, case, and they actually let me come up, not completely to the door, but just on mm-hmm. the sidewalk behind the door so I could hear what was being said. Um, but they didn't let me come as close as the door for that. Um, the DUI, right. I actually got to ride in the car. Like when we made the DUI arrest, I actually rode with them because after they, they – um, make the arrest, they actually have to take them to the hospital to be blood tested so that they actually have an accurate mm. blood alcohol content level record. Mm. Um, so then mm-hmm. we would, I would sit there with the drunk guy <laughs> who's having well, a bad night. <laughs> so, yeah, but it was, yeah. it was very interesting. And um, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, um, it's interesting to see how different police officers view their jobs differently, how a community officer will view his or her job differently than someone who's about to become a detective um, versus someone who constantly does the DUI, like the motorcycle cops who do the DUI shift Mm -hmm. and the traffic, they view things differently. It's it's really interesting to see sort of when you, when you micro down, um, see how Mm -hmm. they perceive the world and their jobs differently. That's interesting. That's really, really fascinating. Um, I know that I just want to just once again, remind people how they can um, find you. So if you have a website as well, don't you, Christine, as well? I mean, I think maybe yeah. we mentioned that. You're christineconrad.com. Yep. Um, so if, if people go to your website, that will probably direct you all over the place, right? Yeah, exactly. So you can oh, it links to my Twitter and my Facebook and, and all the information that you need about when my movies are airing or what I'm teaching or nice. even what I'm working on. That's all. You can find it on there. That's terrific. So what's up next for you professionally? What, where, 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 I don't even know. Where, where, what's up next for you? You know, I've, I've kind of got enough contracts to last me through this year and um, still doing a lot of network uh, stuff, TV movies for different networks. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm attached to direct one um, later this year. Hopefully, hopefully there'll be two um, this fall. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's kind of it. I kind of try to just see, and we'll see when I finish the chapters, if the next book series ends up going. I should know that probably by the end of this year, too. Wow, a lot. Is there, is there a day where you just say, enough, and I'm just going to go run on the beach? Or <laughs> do you not give yourself that kind of a break? I don't, I don't have a lot of time for that kind of a break. I try to, I try to find mm-hmm. a balance when I can. You know, I try to go work yeah. out or get my 10,000 steps in mm-hmm. or you know, do some of that kind of stuff. But for the most part, I mean, I, I work a lot. I work more than most people do, and um, yeah. but I enjoy it. And so I have no complaints. It doesn't feel like work to me, you know, because I, right. I have fun doing it. I could see you think, I, I could imagine you saying, I just got to get in a pool and just swim. Some, I just need to swim some laps. <laughs> I need to just like kind of clear my head and get in a pool or jump in the ocean or whatever. It just seems like at some point, you know, you have to refresh. You have to hit the refresh button, right? You just have to whoop, you, give yourself you do. Some Meditation kind of a break helps with that a lot, you know, um, just taking mm-hmm. time to, to think about nothing and just really clear your mm-hmm. mind. Um, but also, I mean, I love, I love working out and I love swimming. And, yeah, I mean, swimming laps, I mean, as you probably know, is, is mindless unless you're actually counting right. the laps. You can really just zone mm-hmm. out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all that kind of stuff I, I try to do. And, and I travel oh, a lot, too. That's my other thing. It's very inspiring, and so I think when I do take breaks, you know, usually my mm-hmm. fiance and I are on on a trip someplace or on a weekend or someplace. So nice. So I think that this, you know, I I like to have my guests participate in some of the questions that I ask because it's a it's a cooperative, in my opinion. I don't want to just come up with all of these questions and then you just have to answer them. And you provided me with a question that I will probably use with many of my guests because I just think it's such it's such a 
thought-provoking question. In fact, I've actually asked myself this same question, and that is, what advice would you give your younger self, looking back now? I think Such that I would give... Such a thought-provoking question. It, I mean, it, it, thank you. I, I can't take credit for it. I think someone else has asked me that at one point. Um, oh, well, I love it. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't invent it, the question. But I okay. think for me, it would just be, you know, don't worry so much. Things, mm-hmm. the right things kind of come to you. And if you just put the energy out, um, I think things, you know, the energy comes back, right? And so I think that... Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to stress as much as I used to stress, especially in my, my, probably my late twenties about, is my career doing well enough yet? Am I, you know, am I going to be married at the time? I think I want to be married and, you know, am I going to have this much money? And it's like, that's not really how things work, (laughs) you know, and sometimes the Mm -hmm. best things that happen to you, you aren't expecting. So just be open to whatever's going to happen and, and work Mm -hmm. hard and, and, you know, be prepared when, that direction changes. Things may not happen in the same way that you think they're going to happen, but they do happen. I, I, I would share that. I, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about, um, uh, actually we were talking about a radio um, a psychologist, or maybe he was a psychiatrist. Uh, David Viscott used to be on the radio many, many years ago. And I just, I remember him saying that, it, the the sooner you know your purpose, the more you will find satisfaction because you'll figure out kind of why you're here, and that could change. That 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 can change just based on life experiences. Um, I certainly didn't anticipate being a radio show host um, eight or nine, five or six years ago at all. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that when you sort of have an understanding of where your gifts might lie. I think that 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 would be kind of the advice that I gave that I sort of gave myself, especially since you know talking is something other people might say, God, that is just so exhausting, and I find it just the opposite. Just like you say, you can put in a ten-hour day. I could, I could stay in conversations with people all day. I really, I really mm-hmm. could, and it, and when I'm in my house, you know, and I'm more connected to, you know, the business of business where you're just staring at a computer screen or, you know, setting up another show or whatever it is that I have to do to keep my job going. Um, what, what I find for me, for me personally, it becomes a little isolating and I need to get out. And it could just be going to my little Vons and ending up, well, at our little Vons, you know what happens is I run into people that were Y members. I either <laughs> yep. hadn't seen them in a long time. I mean, sometimes I feel like I just should get a couch and sit down and <laughs> just talk to all the Y people that have come by because I, I really do love my community, so I, I've always lived here, so that is meaningful to me. But I, I, I know that I've always been interested and engaged in what people have to say and what their stories are. And I, I can tell the difference when people are like, you know, back off, lady. I don't. I don't know you. I don't want to tell you why I'm wearing a Clippers hat or whatever. You know, but man, if you give me the opening, um, I have certainly um, had a lot of guests um, join me on my show from just bizarre, random, casual meetings, and I, I love that. So I probably would advise myself that, you know, you were. You, yes, you always got in trouble for talking too much in school. Well, guess what? <laughs> it, it's 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 has it's served you well. Oh it my has. goodness! <laughs> uh, you know, really. Uh, on a personal note, you have mentioned on a few occasions here that you have a fiance, but he's not going to be your fiance forever, is he? He's not. He's actually only going to be a fiance for about another month, and then, and then he becomes my husband. <laughs> We're getting oh married in May. Um, in uh huh. So. In Jamaica, man. Oh, yes. that's so neat. Well, it's it makes it. Does he love the water as much as you do? Probably not as much as I do. Um, he loves Jamaica, okay. and you know, it's funny. He, um, he, everyone sort of gravitates to their own thing. I've always gravitated, obviously, to water. Everywhere when I was little, and we'd stay at a hotel, the first thing I had to run and check out was the swimming pool, right? And mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. sort of a person who's more into sunsets, right? <laughs> so Jamaica works for both oh. of us because it's absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. there and it's surrounded by amazing water. Mm-hmm. And warm, right? 
Oh, yeah, very humid, but I love it. But no, is it's the water coming. is the water itself warm? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's warm. Yeah, it's like a bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I I'm not a water person. I mean, I like my shower, but um but I would find myself in Jamaica with a camera around my neck. Um, because I'm sure that it's going to be magnificent sunrises and sunsets, right? Oh, it's beautiful. You can't you can't go wrong yeah. in the Caribbean, you know. <laughs> it's, right. it's amazing. Right. And that's that's terrific. You so you know, maybe you'll write a book about um marriage someday. Maybe. I don't know. Is your whole family gonna be able to show up and join you? Yeah. Yeah, we have about fifty nice. people coming. Yeah, so it's, nice. it's a small wedding, but it's big for a destination mm-hmm. wedding. Yeah, and it's become so popular. If if you um, you know, if this is something that's really important, you know, this you've waited a while to do this. How long have you known your fiance? Um, by the time we get married next month, it'll be almost five years. Nice. That's really yeah. really nice. Oh, you must be so excited. Are you? Hi, Mary. Your mom must be so excited. This is this is this is really great. Are you going to wear a traditional wedding gown and everything? I am. Yes. Okay. Well, we won't give you we won't give too many details about that, just in case, you know, maybe that's supposed to be a secret. But it, it is it is really exciting what you have coming up in store for you, and it just sounds like you're so engaged in your life right now. Yeah, I, I have no complaints. I've, I'm really happy where I'm at, and um, you know, and my advice to people who are thinking about you know taking up writing as a career and or even as a hobby yes. is just just do it. You know, everybody's got stories mm-hmm. to tell. Everybody has something that they can share, and whether it's a memoir mm-hmm. or a fantasy or whatever it is, you know, just just do it. Try it. I had a writer on my show, Christine. He was he was a Y member. He was a young, he was a boy when he, when I knew him as a Y member. And his advice, and he sort of challenged me personally, and he said, don't get yourself locked up in grammar. Don't lock yourself up in editing yourself while you're writing. Just start writing and mm-hmm. let, the, let, the, let the words flow so that you're not so busy rewriting and recorrecting what it is you're trying because you're you're editing before you even got your thoughts out there would you would you agree to that a hundred percent i would agree with that you have to tap into the Mm -hmm. creative place not the cerebral place that edits and fixes everything and you know tap into the place where it just all kind of comes out and once it's out you can then you can do anything you want with it you know Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm I, I, I started doing that. A lot of people have said I should write a book. Um, my very first experience on blog talk radio was with um, a woman by the name of Sharifa Hardy. Um, that's something that she does. And I was a guest on her show um, the first week of February. I had never heard about blog talk radio. And my my was I was the guest, which was a different thing for me. And basically what she said was, um, from widow to radio show host, and she just let me go, and I thought, wow, it was just amazing. But I just want to say to you, in closing, as our hour is coming to an end, how much I've I respect you, how much I appreciate you, and I just wish you. This, I'm just so thankful that you've joined me today, Christine. I can't wait for all of our YMCA friends to hear all about you and what you've done since you've left the Y. And I, I just very much appreciate you taking the time out in a very busy schedule to to join me today. So thank you so very, very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Really. So on that, I will just bid everybody adieu and look forward to seeing you again um, next week on the Blog Talk radio show, Born to Talk. And Christine, best wishes for a beautiful future with your fiancé, whose name is remaining um, nameless, evidently. David. I'm not saying his name. <laughs> David. David. You're marrying a David. <laughs> well, I love that. So the very best to you, Christine. I look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Thanks so much. Thanks, Marcia. Thanks. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 
Stop by any of the 133 Los Angeles area O'Reilly Auto Parts stores where you'll find everyday low prices on the parts you need to keep your vehicle at its best. Our guaranteed low prices ensure you're always getting our best deal. In fact, we'll match any auto parts store's price on any like item. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.